Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Il n'y a que lui, Alexandre Lacazette. Eux de garde, oh bien joué, la passe aveugle avec Chambers. Anderson contre son corps. Cette mise sur le banc. Qui a besoin de La gâchette, Alexandre Lacazette. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning. We've got to take him where we can get him. Absolutely. It's not jingle-worthy goodly morning, but it's still a goodly morning when we win a game, score some goals, play some nice football, keep a clean sheet, and I think that's it. I mean, it's, that's <laughs> enough, isn't it? Considering that's enough. <laughs> We're a demanding public, but, you know, that is that is sufficient, I think, for us of a morning. Um, it's nice to talk about a win. It is. I woke up this morning and, um, you know, I drank a little wine last night and my head was a little fuzzy this morning. Sure. You know that kind of regret you have and you go, oh, I really shouldn't have drunk that last. I made my Monday more difficult yeah. than it needed to be. But then I, I was sort of rejuvenated, revitalized, not by... A glass of orange juice packed to the brim with vitamin C or some kind of supplements like Centrum for the uh, older man, <laughs> but yeah. but simply the realization that I could get up and write about an Arsenal win that was, um, you know, that there was nothing complicated about it. It was weird. I said in the blog uh, in the preview, it would be nice if we could, you know, have an uncomplicated win. That would be a thing. I mean, I wasn't expecting it, but it's kind of what we got. It is. And I was the same as you. During the mm. game last night, I was thinking, I can't face this being another really bad game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what yeah. I'm going to say about it. I don't know what I'm going to write about it. So, yeah, they're mightily relieved to talk about a positive result and some really good goals, even if, of course, that is all wrapped up in you know, uh, the quality of the opposition being factored into the equation. Yeah. Do we just get that out of the way and say that they are bottom of the league for a very good reason? Uh, you mm. know, this was a good team last season. In fairness, Sheffield United were good, you know, very well organized under Chris Wilder um, and then got kind of found out a bit and it's gone wrong this season. So they they are poor. They, I think, had lost seven of their last eight games coming into this one. I think it's probably a measure of our own trepidation about what Arsenal are capable of that we were looking at this going, Ooh, you know, this could be quite tough here. But, you know, yeah. when you step back and look at it objectively, they're not very good. They're having a terrible season. They're in terrible form. Um, so let's get that out of the way so we don't keep having to caveat the the the, the positive things that we're going to say about some of the positive aspects of our play. You know, everyone's sitting there going, but they're crap. Yes, we know. And we said it. So it's out of the way. Exactly. Now. Yeah. And like I said at the top, we've got to take the positives where we can mm. get them. And 
you know, I think in some ways this was a good opponent for Arsenal to come up against, particularly at a time mm. without fans. I think going to Bramall Lane, maybe with fans, would be a bit different. But they look like a beaten, relegated team. Mm. And that helped us. Nevertheless, uh, let's set that to one side and talk about what was still, I think, uh, a very interesting Arsenal performance. I think it was, and an interesting team selection, because when I saw the the lineup, I was looking yeah. at it going... Looks like he's playing Bakayo Saka left back. It did not occur to me, <laughs> and I'm sure it didn't for many other people that that he might select Granit Xhaka as mm. the left back. I mean, on the scale of one to wow, how surprised were you uh, about that? So I was really surprised. Like everybody else, I kind of went, "Ah, Saka is a left back. That would make loads of sense." Mm. As soon as I saw that it was Xhaka at left back, I was. As surprised as I was, I was also slightly disappointed in myself that I hadn't foreseen it. You know, I, I think that there is obviously a clear logic to it, given that he has sort of operated from that area of the pitch mm. so much in build-up. And I guess, really, partly the decision was about, as well, prioritising that number 10 position. I mean, we're, we're in a situation at the moment where without Martin Odegaard, we were without yesterday Emil Smith-Rowe as well. Mm. And I guess part of Arteta's thinking was just, I, I need somebody to play there. And I've been yeah. wanting to see Saka play there for a long time. And I thought it was a quite an encouraging performance from him in that position. I think so too. We might touch on that a little bit later on, but I think the Shaka yeah. thing is quite interesting. I, uh, this morning, uh, you know, when you play with Granit Shaka at left back, and he has played there before, you know, your 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 game plan is not to get your left back high at the pitch and overlapping and banging crosses the way that Kieran Tierney does. It it drastically mm -hmm. affects the way that you're going to play. So what I what I thought was quite interesting this morning, I had a look at the heat maps, and it was obvious, wasn't it, that that Danny Ceballos was sort of slotting in ahead of Shaka. Mm -hmm. um, so where almost like a kind of left wing back at times, kinda, like, yeah, kind of flipping out to that side. When you look at the heat maps, it's really interesting because Shaka's heat map is sort of starting from the the corner of our box, and it's it's quite interior. His his heatiest bit, what do you call it? His most hot bits? I don't know. Yeah. the the hottest part of Granite Shaka's heat map is in this kind of still in that kind of left central midfield position. Sabios's most uh, heaty bit uh, is just to uh, just above the halfway line in that kind of pocket where Xhaka was not going into because, you know, if he goes in there, he's got to turn around and get back and nobody, uh, least of all Granit Xhaka, wants that. But when you put the two heat maps together, they, they, they kind of um, join up almost perfectly. Right. They make this kind of Looks a bit like a willy, actually, now that I look at it. <laughs> okay. Uh, this I'd perfect... like to see Mikel Arteta's tactical diagrams for the game. Just lots of drawings of willies. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll, send but... you, I'll send you the picture. You can, you can, I mean, it's a quite misshapen willy, but it's still... I believe a you. I believe you. So, can I mean... you imagine on Monday Night Football next week that they'll be doing that? <laughs> Jay Carragher, see there. You know, but if we look at it, it's a willy. It's a gigantic willy yeah, on the yeah. left. What he's done, Arteta, he's, he's made the play a willy. Um, I'm, sending, I'm sending you the picture. This is what he's been doing all season. Yeah. We thought those shouts were at Willian. <laughs> willy, willy, willy. In fact, he was organising the team formation. Into the shape of a giant willy. I just sent it to you there in the chat. I'm not wrong, am I? Let's have a look. Uh, okay, All right. I've got the image link. I'm excited to see it. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that clearly is a phallus that they... (laughs) They were operating the four phallus two. uh, An ingenious formation. No, do you know what? It was actually quite sort of one of those things you know Arteta is capable of sort of tinkering and sometimes it feels like he overthinks Mm. this was an occasion where it felt smart and it felt clever and it and it sort of worked it did because you know when you don't have Odegaard when you don't have Tierney when you don't have Smith Rowe and you don't have Aubameyang who are four key pieces of your team's uh, attacking lineup you know in in different ways obviously you're I'm not going to say restricted, but you're missing a lot from your team. So you do have to find a way to make it work. Um, the the deployment of Ceballos there on the on the left, I think as well, it, it gave a little bit of security to Martinelli. Because remember when Martinelli played against um, Man United, came off at halftime. And I don't think he was necessarily bad. But yeah. I think there was a bit expected of him defensively that he maybe wasn't doing. I, I don't quite know. Or maybe they wanted him to be somewhere different on, on that left-hand side. But what he had then was the ability to go forward. I, I think he got back quite well at times, Martinelli. But he had then Ceballos behind him and Shaka behind him again. So there was this almost like a security blanket for Martinelli to to operate on that left-hand side. And I'm sure we're going to talk about him uh, in a moment as well. But then mm-hmm. again, you have Saka... Um, in that sort of nominal 10 position and Thomas Partey as kind of one-man midfield at times, mm-hmm. which was really interesting because Sabayas would push out, Saka was the link man and it did work because Saka and Partey were able to link up, Saka and Pepe were able to link up. I think Pepe, uh, Saka linked quite well with Lacazette at times as we, as we saw in the goal as well. So it felt kind of uh, interconnected, all of it, even if it was unconventional. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's an unconventionality about the way Sheffield United set up to a certain extent, and maybe that meant that we were able mm. to exploit that a little bit. I also think it suits Ceballos because he's not he's not someone you can really rely upon to kind of hold the central midfield space. And no. I think we've actually seen that from him recently. But liberating him from that a bit, I think, well, it brought one of his best performances of the season, to mm. be honest. Um so, yeah, there was a lot that was encouraging about it. I think as well, having Saka in that number 10 space, he played it in a very mobile way. Like you say, he was mm. sort of combining well with different players, particularly I thought it helped Nicola Pepe having someone to work with on that right flank. You know, mm. in the absence of Odegaard, um, Saka kind of filled that spot quite well. So, yeah, there, there was a, a necessity about some of the changes he made because we are missing a few mm. key players. But I thought, given that, Arteta kind of shuffled the pack uh, relatively well. The other standout thing from the team selection point of view was Gabriel Martinelli in the team mm-hmm. uh, again, or again, well, for the first time in a while, starting a game. Um, I mean, look, when Aubameyang's missing, when Willian is Willian, you know, when you don't have Smith Rowe, when you don't have Odegaard, it does open up a space for that player to come in and, and stake a claim. Um I thought he was I thought he was good. I mean I can see aspects of his game that that need work. You know, there's a rawness to him, but that rawness if we can harness the the forward potential that he brings this team. Like early on he picked up the ball played in Saka, Saka shot wide in the opening couple of minutes. You know, it was instantly a positive contribution from from Martinelli. Yeah. Um you know, there's energy to the way that he plays. I thought 
technically he was a little bit tidier than he has been in a couple of games when we've seen him in, in uh, this season, you know. So yeah. there's clearly been work going on with him behind the scenes. So, A, were you glad to see him in the team? And B, what, what did you make of the performance? I was definitely glad. Um, it felt a little bit overdue. I mean... Mm. We're in eight, we're in mid-April now, and it was Boxing Day that he had that kind of brilliant breakout performance against Chelsea, where he came into the team, and it felt like that was his kind of return mm. to first team, and it's not quite played out like that. The main reason that I was so pleased to see him play is that I think something we've really had hammered into us, I think, over the last fortnight, and by the performances we've seen from Arsenal, is that once Arteta makes that choice about who he's going to play at centre-forward in any given game, I think it becomes so important that you surround them with the right players. I almost think you need to build, select your team sort of from the centre-forward out. And if you're playing Lacazette, you need guys who can run beyond him Mm. and who offer goal-scoring threat. And I think... You know, Pepe and Martinelli absolutely do that. And while not everything Martinelli did, like you say, was perfect, so many of his actions, so many of the times he takes the ball ends in him either taking a shot or providing an opportunity for somebody else. And for a team that can be a little shot shy, and especially if they're Mm. playing with a centre forward who can be a bit shot shy, that's so valuable. You know, he's kind of a bit of an antidote to some of our problems, I think. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's fair to say. I don't want to go to town on that because it's a discussion we have time and time again. But, you know, it was yeah. really good to see him and great for him to get on the, the score sheet as well. You know, it's not the, the most um, eye-catching goal he'll ever score or has ever scored. But I think to come back into the team, to play well, to have some shots, like you say, um, mm-hmm. you know, to, if not necessarily create chances, to sort of at least attempt to create chances. I thought there was some interesting variety in some of the things that he did in that, you know, there are a couple of times where he played somebody in when they expected him to take a shot. And, um, you know, he, he was able to use both feet quite well. So he's quite two-sided. You know, that shot that he put wide that he maybe should have gone for the far post rather than the near post. Yeah. A really yeah. strong left-footed shot. There was another occasion, the edge of the box, where I think he... He took a shot which deflected and the keeper did quite well to save. I don't think the deflection was huge. There was another one, wasn't there, from a corner where he was in the right place, took a shot, it deflected out for another corner. You know, he was really, really involved for a guy who hasn't played a huge amount. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what, what, where do you, I watched Arteta's post-game interview about him and, and you know, people I think have doubts that Arteta likes the player but everything he said about him is really positive but the message has been you know we need to be patient we need to give him minutes when he's ready in in specific games etc etc what do you think the concerns are over giving Martinelli more playing time and do you think that what he did yesterday again against Sheffield United blah 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 will dispel some of the concerns about readiness that that the manager might have. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember that Manchester United game that he started. He got pulled off at half time, and you know, been, we've been sort of waiting to really see him since then. And I remember on the touchline that day, Arteta was urging Martinelli to be higher all the time. He wanted him right. further up the pitch than he was. It wasn't like he wasn't tracking back. 
it was the case that he was just he wanted him to be higher up the field and yesterday it felt like at times he was the most advanced Arsenal player on that left hand side you know he was the guy who was kind of the most direct goal threat and I think maybe maybe there's a tendency because he's sort of so keen to get involved for him to to not hold that position I don't know Mm. I don't know it's I found it a little bit confusing because there is such a maturity about the way he plays. There is such an obvious uh, energy and impact he brings Mm. to the team. I think it's partly about competition. It's partly about having a couple of senior players who Arteta wants to use in those areas. You know, we've seen Aubameyang play on that side. We've seen him play at centre forward as well. We've seen Willian on that side. Mm. And it does feel like Arteta's just sort of been a bit reluctant to move those guys aside. But given what Martinelli did at Sheffield United and given that he got the goal as well, I think it's really important that he got the goal, even though it is just a tap-in. It's great for his confidence. Um, I think, I'd like to think we will see more of him. I, I am patient with him because... He did have a big injury. He did have a substantial layoff. Uh, he is here on a long-term contract. He is only 19, yeah. Yeah, opportunities will come. And I accept Arteta's point of, we've got a lot of guys in the team who are kind of, you know, we've got a few, let's say. We've got Saka, we've got Smith-Rowe. You know, maybe it's not right to throw them all in at the deep end together. But Martinelli is definitely in that bracket and... Yeah, I, I hope that Arteta takes confidence from what mm. he saw from him. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it's almost a banal thing to say, but he just does offer us a lot more on that side than some of the alternative options. You know, he's got a more rounded, varied game. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was a really, really promising performance. And I hope we see more of it. Yeah, it was a, it was a really... Um positive part of what was you know what came out of yesterday was him playing um playing Mm. well scoring a goal striker's instincts you know you can say it was a tap in but he's in the right place and his movement actually when you see the reverse replay is is good he's on his toes he's there waiting you know um and that's what he's done in the first team since he came in you know he's always got a found goal scoring opportunities the other big positive is that he seemed to come through relatively unscathed I mean I don't know if you've noticed this but I think Martinelli there's a fear of an injury in him because of the layoff that he's had it feels like every time he goes down at the moment Mm. it's kind of head in hands you know and and I'm the same Mm. at home you know I I think he's that there's that sort of horrible fear of please not another setback and I think it'll take him maybe a few more months until he has that complete confidence in his body. But it, it seemed like he was okay anyway at the end of the game. It did, yeah. And I suppose one of the things we don't know that might go some way to explaining him not being used could be physical, you know? True. Um, in a season where, you know, he's just come back, well, just come back, but he had that big injury, he came back, and it's not really a normal season, is it, in terms of preseason and getting fit and all that kind of stuff, so... Maybe yeah, that's yeah. maybe that's part of it as well. But look, a really good day for him. So um, that's pleasing. And if it does force him further into the manager's thoughts ahead of uh, you know some others, then I don't think that would be a bad thing at all. And his English is good. Did you see his first? I didn't interview? see the interview. No, I didn't see the interview. Oh, he's really come on. Yeah. yeah, great. I must have a look. I must have a look at that. He started learning in Brazil, didn't he? I think it was part of the kind of you know project Martinelli mm. to get himself a big move, but. Uh, Yeah, I was really impressed. Okay, cool. I will check that out. The first goal, James. Mm. 
Great that, goal. What a lovely piece of football that was. And I think what's underappreciated, maybe, maybe not. I mean, the... Uh, the intricate play on the edge of the box is what catches the eye. But I think the fact that we pressed Sheffield United high up the pitch and made them lump it and then just kept the ball and got the ball back and came forward quite well um, was good too because it was part of what they did. They were pressing us quite high up the pitch, particularly in the second half. Um, so, you know, to see us implement the press in, a, in an organized way regain possession and then go forward and do that um it was delicious really really good play and Partey you know when when you look at where he was in possession and out of possession he was I think uh, I said a one-man midfield which of course he wasn't I mean he did have some support but but he was playing behind you know that front line quite a Mm. lot and he was there to to make that initial pass I think to Lacazette Lacazette to Saka Saka to Ceballos and Ceballos, with what felt like his 17th flick of the game, put Lacazette through. I mean, look, he's played poorly of late, Ceballos, but it doesn't appear to have dented his confidence. No. I'll let you in on a secret about okay. Danny Ceballos from me, which is that I have promised myself I'm not going to fall for Danny Ceballos again. <laughs> That's kind of where I am. Like, I, I saw his thoughts yesterday. It was brilliant, you know, and yeah. like... I think he made more ball recoveries as well than any other player on the pitch, certainly in Arsenal colours. Yeah. And he is this kind of completely bewitching player because he can have these matches where he looks extraordinarily gifted and like he's got all the tools to be a complete midfield player. And I've just told myself, I'm not, emotionally, I'm not going there anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a kind of ex evil ex-girlfriend trying to woo me back and I've closed the door. Um <laughs> I know what you mean. I do know. I don't, what know, you mean. How, I don't know how you feel, but yeah, that's that's where I start. Yeah, I mean, I think my my mind is pretty much made up on Sabios in terms of you know whether we should keep him or not. But he, he has some games and he has some moments where you go, God, if he could do that more consistently, he'd be a hell of a player. Yeah. The fact I, is, I, he's been here for nearly two years, and they're 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 rare enough those performances, I, I, you know. Yeah, and I think there's every chance he will have a pretty good career and he might be someone else to look at in five years and go, oh, yeah, maybe. But I've, I'm I, at the moment, I feel firm in how, I, how mm. I feel about him. But on the goal itself, there was a lot to, to like. I mean, Sheffield United, they flood back defensively. Mm. You know, they always do. They fill in with that five. But when Thomas Partey has the ball 30 yards out... There are like six Arsenal players ahead of the ball in that situation. Mm. And it's not too often you can say that. You know, we don't typically go forward with that amount of gusto. And then from there, the interplay is really good. And to be fair to Lacazette, I mean, he started the game looking very purposeful and very sharp. Um, I don't know what changed between Thursday and Sunday, but uh, I'm glad it's eventually did well one well there's two things that i can think of one is that yeah. he was really bad on thursday and he knows it and yeah, there's a I determination there's a determination to to make up for that or or do better you know he'll be he must have had nightmares over missing that chance the one when he mm-hmm. went you know clean through on goal i mean it did take him about an hour and a half to get to the edge of the box but you know from yeah. there he would expect to score there's no question about it and and there was another miss as well so you know it's not that he's not self-aware um enough to realize that he that he had to do better uh, and did do better yesterday 
And the other thing, I, you already mentioned it, is that there was a one key difference um, in terms of who he had around him. He had Martinelli outside him rather than Willian. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I did, I mean, he's, he's a player who, how do I express this properly? I think he is a good player. I think I still have concerns about how deep he drops mm. at times. Um, I think before the goal, a couple of minutes before the goal, he picked the ball up in an area and I put on the live blog, like, what is he doing there? Why is our center forward wherever he was? And he was in maybe the, you know, the Ceballos space on the left wing, um, somewhere mm. like that. There were times in the second half where he dropped so deep, he was almost picking the ball up from the left back and actually did pick the ball up from the left back a couple of times. And to be fair to him, he played a big part in helping us beat their press because there was some some good play out from the back from Arsenal at times in that second half when Sheffield United decided to press us much higher. Uh, we were going long from goal kicks again, but you know there were times where he played it out from the back and Lacazette played his part in, in getting there. I think the first goal was excellent. The second goal, I mean, you know, to be through on goal again, there was real conviction in the finish. He is mm. our leading scorer so far this season, so he deserves credit for that. And at the same time, you know, for me, it only... I think this is great that he's scoring goals for us, and I hope he keeps scoring goals for us at the end of the season, but it doesn't change my mind about what we should do with him come the end of the season. You know, if if it goes some way to increasing his value and his transfer market value and what we might get for him, if that sounds terribly cynical, I, I'm not going to apologize for it uh, because that's what it is in a way. I want... I, I want us to move on from from Lacazette while I recognize that there are things that he can do and has done and, and had a great game yesterday uh, and was instrumental to, to the win. You know, I, I feel like the benefit isn't simply that he scored the goals which helped us win the game. It's that it might make other clubs sit up and take notice. Yeah, I hadn't considered it in that way, but it's possible. I mean, that's the thing. I think I broadly uh, agree that it's time to move on from Lacazette. My hesitancy comes from concern over what sort of market there might be. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's, a, there's always a market for strikers who score goals. So if you keep scoring, you know. Then there should be. There yeah. should be. Um, and let's hope there is. And let's hope there's a way for Arsenal to recoup some some money on him and, and reinvest it in the squad. Uh, no, I agree. I don't think anyone has to kind of, you know, rip up their opinions of Alexander Lacazette based on this, just as I won't be ripping up my opinions of Danny Ceballos. Yeah. I do think that Lacazette, personally, I do think he's quite not quite as bad as some of the sort of prevailing narrative would suggest. I think he, I think he can be a useful player for Arsenal and I think he will be pretty important between now and the end of the season. Um, and I think he... I, I completely hear what you're saying about he comes very, very deep. The only thing I can say as a counter to that is I wonder if Mikel Arteta would tolerate him doing that if he didn't want him to be doing it. Oh, I imagine um, it's, yeah, I imagine there's some instruction in that for sure. I mean, to be clear, I don't think Lacazette is the kind of striker who can do that work on the halfway line and be in the six-yard box at the end of a move as well. I mean, we know that about him. And actually... 
in that sort of brief period where Arteta preferred Eddie and Ketia to Alex Lacazette, that was one of the things Ketia had. He literally had the energy and the sprint speed to be on the halfway line trying to win the ball back and be in the six-yard box by the time the cross comes in. Lacazette can't mm. really do both. But then we keep coming back to the same point, which is, well, then if you're going to play him, you've got to play people like Martinelli. You've got to play people like Pepe. And even Bukayo Saka you know, more so than Martin Odegaard playing as number 10, is someone who can run beyond, who can actually get past the striker. Um, I, I think that Lacazette looked good in this game. You're right, partly because he was very determined, but also partly because the balance was much better yeah. around him. Yeah. Um, and we've got questions coming up about what that means for Thursday, which I think is an interesting mm. Conversation, So we'll come on to that in part two. But yeah, the first goal was lovely. The commentators were obsessed with the idea that Arsene Wenger would be raising a glass. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how long are we going to do this for? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like every time we score, go, ah, it's, it's Wenger ball, you know. Um, I don't know if we can quite put it down to that. No, I mean, it, it was, yeah. Yeah, Arsene Wenger would be sitting at home in his, yeah. you know, red velvet smoking jacket with the white cuffs, <laughs> you know, lighting a pipe. Looking down. Drinking- on us, even though he's not dead. There was a bit of that to it, do you know what I mean? It was kind of morbid. Yeah, it's like um, every good bit of football that Arsenal ever play from now on will be, yeah. well, Arsene Wenger will be <laughs> smiling from the heavens, even though he's not dead. do it when we get players sent off, really. I mean, that's his, <laughs> as much as trade. Yeah, that's true. It was a beautiful goal, uh, well finished. Second goal, Nicolas Pepe. Um, it was quite interesting. Um, I was chatting to Andrew Allen during the game and he sort of mm. said to me, Pepe's been a bit awful. And I was going, yeah, kind of has. You know, the touch, I mean, he gets into such good positions. There were some positions. bad touches. Yeah. Yeah. He gets into such good positions and makes such good runs that if his touch was 10% better, oh my God, what a player. But it's not. And then after myself and Andrew came to the conclusion that he'd been terrible, he very much wasn't. I thought he really grew into the game very well. I thought the the combinations with Saka were good. Those two... Those two got it on quite well. And frequent. Yeah. You know, I think they, they were the highest pass combination between each other. And by the way, as much as there were some bad touches, there was one piece of skill in the first half. I don't know if you remember it, where he kind of dragged it back through a guy's legs um, somewhere near the centre circle, which mm. was really astonishing. I mean, the thing about Pepe, again, this isn't a particularly original observation, but he always looks kind of a fraction off being absolutely outstanding. Do you know what I mean? You're mm. like, he's so nearly really great. And I think your inclination as a fan is to be like, well, eventually he'll click and that'll just be that. And I think the longer we watch him, I think the more we realise maybe he won't ever click, but he'll be one of those guys who always has the potential to produce something. And that's kind of what is exciting about him as a footballer. He's yeah. this kind of, Catherine Wheel player, you know, his sparks are flying and sometimes they'll go in the right direction. And, you know, the goal is a really good example in that he is an example of sort of the defensive awareness which has improved from him. He makes the interception and then he drives straight a goal. He's looking to make something happen. And all right, you know, Ramsdale makes the save, but palms it into Martinelli's path and we get the goal. It, he, he is productive, it seems, always, even if he doesn't look polished. Yes, that's a really good way of putting it. There was a good stat from Orbino, um 
who said it was goal involvements for Arsenal for the last two seasons in all competitions. 48 for Aubameyang, 33 for Lacazette, 31 for Pepe, 28 for Saka, 15 for, for Martinelli. So mm. he is somebody, you know, when you consider as well how in and out of the team he's, he's not been. not been a regular. You yeah. know, under Arteta, he's had a couple of spells here and there where he's played with relative frequency. But, you know, this season... Um, it would take more analysis of the uh, the team selections, you know, to figure out how many games in a row he started for us, which is mm-hmm. an important thing for any footballer. You know, if you're in and out of the team, you're always having to prove something. It does have an impact on your game and the way that you play. You're, maybe you're under pressure, you know, to, to do something, to produce something that you don't necessarily uh, make the right decisions or, or the best decisions because you're, you're out to prove something about yourself rather than for the team. And I'm not suggesting he's being um, selfish or anything like that, but I just think it does have that kind of an impact. So for Pep paid to be 31 goal involvements, you know, only a couple behind Lacazette, who has played with much greater frequency and started much more often than mm. Pepe. It does show you what he can bring to this team. Yeah, and I think, listen, it, we, we have to be careful kind of projecting the psychological aspect onto it, but I feel like mm. in the first season with us, he looked from the outside like a player who was kind of struggling for confidence and for whom being taken in and out of the team with that kind of regularity seemed like an issue and I think one of the things that's most encouraging about Pepe is even when he doesn't play you know when he comes on or when he's rotated into the side he seems very determined Mm. and very focused and he plays with kind of the same level of uh, confidence and swagger almost irrespective of whether or not he's a regular at the moment and that is a big step forward for him because that you know that's necessity that's made him do that because he's not getting the run in the team but it's not hurting he's not him, sulking is he you know he doesn't no. look like a guy maybe he doesn't like it and I hope he doesn't like it he shouldn't like it you know he's the record signing etc cetera, etc cetera. but you know he came on against West Ham and um, you know provided that assist for Lacazette so you know there is there is a, a determination on his part to maybe prove to the manager and uh, that he should be playing with with greater frequency so you know yeah uh, yeah I was I was you know it, I, I think those numbers are sort of in some ways mm. they feel a bit surprising because he has been so in and out of the team so for him to be that high on our kind of goals and assist tally it shows you quite how productive he can be mm. um, third goal owes a lot to Thomas Partey doesn't it yeah I mean that's just a, a wonderful piece of I mean he made it look so simple didn't he the the, the feint and then the pass for Lacazette yeah uh, I mean that's kind of what we've been hoping for from him we haven't seen a great deal of it this season I'm just watching it again here here it comes pass from holding oh and he turns that guy Osborne yeah Osborne looks like (laughs) the best friend of a character in a 1980s sitcom he has that I don't know what it is about his face he's like a sidekick he's a sidekick Exactly. I was looking at him going, I'm sure you were in fucking Mork and Mindy at one point. But yeah, anyway, he turns him and the pass is is absolutely inch perfect. You know, I mean, it's the weight of the pass yeah. that I think it's, it's almost like he's playing lawn bowls. Like it, it just sort of slows at the end mm. into Lacazette's path. And Lacazette is able to take that first time without changing his stride at all. Um, 
yeah, it's a brilliant turn, brilliant pass. Really does show, you know, that other dimension to Partey's game that, you know, we want to bring out more and more in him. And maybe the first goal helped Lacazette in that situation because, you know, he's running through on goal. He must have been having some flashbacks, I think, of what happened in the week, but a very mm. composed finish. Yeah, no, look, a, a really good finish. It's the kind of finish that you see, you know, when the the... This, the Arsenal social media channels put up like training ground madness, finishing yeah. madness videos, and they just show these drills where they're just rattling the ball into the bottom of the the, the net time and time and time again. It was yeah. that kind of a finish. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, really, really good. I mean, it, you know, someone—I don't know what's happening here. Someone's trying to uh, take my house apart. <laughs> um, but yeah, someone said to me it looked like a, a goal from a Leon compilation. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's probably fair. 3-0, I mean, do you think it in any way... Um, do you think it, it flattered us? Mm, no, I think we were... I think we were that dominant and I think Sheffield United were that poor. Um, and actually, I, I, I don't. Do you think it did? No, not really. I mean, look, there was a period at 1-0 where I was a bit like, Ooh, we could do with a second goal right now because, it, it, you know, given what's happened this season with us, that if it had gone to 1-1 because of something that we did, you wouldn't yeah. have been even slightly surprised. Um, so I was quite comforted and pleased by the fact that we did get that second goal, which gives you the cushion, and then you get the third goal. So, you know, when you the look... The timing at, of that goal, yeah. the second goal particularly, yeah. was was good. I mean, you know, Sheffield United, they made a couple of changes. They changed their system, actually. They went mm. to a four-diamond two, I think Arteta said. And there was a period where Arsenal kind of had to adapt to that a little yeah. bit. They brought on our old friend McBurney, who'd given us problems in the past yeah. with flick-ons and the like. So, yeah, I, I, I can't lie. I, there was part of me thinking if this goes to one or, you know, God only knows what happens. But the second goal yeah. completely the, sealed it. There wasn't much on the bench that would have given you um, no. room for for optimism in terms of, you know, what they might produce. Willian, no goals this season. Nelson, um hasn't played in a long time and Kedia hasn't played in a long time. My, uh, There's a couple of quick things we should get on to. Were you very slightly disappointed that the final substitution was Lacazette and it wasn't uh, Aziz to give him his debut, you know, 3-0 up away from home? Would have been a nice time to throw him on. Throwing Eddie on felt a little bit pointless. True, but to your point about selling people... Maybe just mm. getting somebody in people's thoughts, getting them a Premier League appearance. May, you know, maybe he nicks a goal in the final second yeah, yeah, and yeah. puts a million pound on his price tag. I don't know, but you know, uh, from that perspective, I'm sure Aziz's time will come, mm. and it's great for him that he was involved. But yeah, it's, it wasn't a, it wasn't a great bench, and we suddenly have gone from position. I think two weeks ago we had a fully fit squad, pretty much. Yeah, and now maybe we're just feeling the crunch of the Europa League schedule alongside the Premier League. But you know, they seem to be dropping like flies mm. at the moment. The other final thing before we go to part two is the uh, the injury to Bukayo Saka. Yeah, hopefully not serious. It looked like a bit of a dead leg. The initial um, replay showed him going down with nobody anywhere near him, and I was like, "Oh no, oh no!" But then they showed an impact a couple of seconds beforehand. It did look like he got caught. So hopefully, just a dead leg. Mm -hmm. It is one of those the, the risks that you have to take, isn't it? Because um, 
there is the 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 idea that you should wrap everyone in cotton wool because the the game on Thursday is so important and we need our best players for that. But you know, Saka came or Partey came through it well, and actually, you know, I think this was a good game to play Partey in because he was so bad in the first leg. You know, he was really good in this one. Get him some confidence back, Lacazette. Whatever you think of him. You know, it's good when your striker scores and he's able to, you know, if, if he fell off the horse on Thursday, he's back on it, um, you know, with, with a couple of goals. So there, there's mm-hmm. there's reason why managers pick players in these games. And there was a, an element of necessity as well, because we didn't have certain players and we did need somebody in the attacking part of midfield. So um, it's just a little bit unfortunate, but hopefully nothing too serious. Yeah, that's it. I think... I think Arsenal did actually need to win this game. Um, I just think the pressure and the momentum, mm. you know, I, I think they needed a result, something to give them, you know, a boost ahead of Thursday, which is obviously absolutely massive. As for Saka, I, I mean, it's just the absence of players in that number 10 spot sort of forced us to play him. And I don't, assuming the injury's not too bad, I don't think it was the worst thing for him. I think, you know, it's felt in recent weeks like he might have been hitting a wall slightly and sometimes just changing a player's Mm. position or giving them a different problem to solve can really help them. Um, Speaking of wrapping him in cotton wool though, I mean, they've wrapped him up in cling film, haven't they? It's sort of mad how they stick that ice on him. Yeah. Uh, Like it's an unusual technique, but fingers crossed he's fine. I was so glad the TV production company managed to dig out that um, replay of him getting a dead leg because let's hope that's all it is. Arteta didn't really seem much the wiser at the end of the game. No, I mean, the initial, unless it's something really obvious and really serious, you know, you don't know how a player is going to be until the next the day. Scan. You know? Yeah. Or, yeah, even just the next day. You know, we've all played football and taken a kick and it's either grand the next day or you're uh, fucked or, you know, it really, really yeah. hurts. So uh, the next day will we'll, we'll tell us plenty and we'll find out later in the week, I'm sure, from Mikel Arteta about his availability for the big game on Thursday. All right, look, We'll take a break here and we'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
<laughs> Motherfucker, just as we were starting. Well, <laughs> welcome back. Well, I should leave this in because we've been yeah. uh, taking a little break here before part two because the man next door to James is uh, mowing the the lawns and doing all the stuff with his noisy shit. Who mows their lawn on a Monday morning? I don't That's the know. thing you do at the weekend, right? I, I feel like, and don't take this the wrong way, I feel like we are Jamie Redknapp and mm. the guy with the mower is Roy Keane. Because right, so- Roy, Roy Keane's commitment to absolutely winding up and annoying the shit out of Jamie Redknapp is pretty admirable. It knows almost no bounds. It is I, yeah. unreal. But the they're soft, Jamie. Jamie, they're soft. <laughs> it's delicious. And Jamie Redknapp just walks into that trap mm. time and time and time again. He's he's like, you know, um, the experiment with the dog, you know, that he goes and he gets the food and then he gets electrocuted. And yeah. he learns very quickly that if he goes for the food, he's going to get electrocuted. Jamie Redknapp is an electrocuted dog every mm. single fucking time. So it's great, but then the same is arguably true of Jermaine Genus. I think Spurs fans—they're just a very sensitive bunch, aren't they? Could well be. Um, <laughs> this is part two of the Arsecast Extra, where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. So, do you want to start, or will I start? What? Why don't you start? Why don't I start? Indeed. Okay. Here is a question from the Discord, from Zach Taze, who says, Do you think it's fair or unfair to be questionable about Aubameyang's absence yesterday? I saw a lot of people tweeting that he has, quotation marks, the flu, implying that they didn't exactly believe it. Mm, well, I, yeah, p- people really didn't believe it. On my experience of social media, um, there was a lot of scepticism. Mm. Um I personally think it probably is true. Uh, I kind of think you would come up with a a better excuse if it wasn't true. Yeah, it was so unbelievable. It was credible, if you like. Um, And I I tell you what I do think as well. I, I think maybe something is kind of lost in translation a bit in that, you know, people say the flu and everyone was pulling out statistics to say there's literally there's been flu flu, no case of the yeah. flu in the UK since whatever amount of time, you know, because of everything else that's going on. I think sometimes people refer to like a really heavy cold or, or a, a, a quite difficult 24-hour, 48-hour bug as the flu. If yeah. you have the flu, you know all about it. It's really debilitating. It's, it's quite dangerous as well, the actual flu. Um, so I, I don't know necessarily that it was the flu, but I, I have to believe, you know, that he was sick. He was unwell. Granit Xhaka missed a game uh, last week because he was unwell. And mm-hmm. nobody nobody questioned whether or not Granit Xhaka was unwell. I suppose it's the, the overall context of what's happened with Aubameyang in the sense that he's been on the bench a bit recently. There was the incident with the North London derby, et cetera, et cetera. And I think from there... 
you know, there's this idea building that that he no longer cares about anything other than just getting money and doesn't yeah. want to play football anymore and doesn't care about us and doesn't care about scoring goals and all that kind of stuff, which... He just wants the shiniest car of all time. All his money is being funneled into making his cars shinier. Yeah. Until they're so shiny, we can't even see them. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I I understand people's concerns and frustrations and all that kind of stuff. We have been, as a fan base, particularly traumatized in the last number of years by big star players getting contracts and then not performing. I don't know what you're referring to, Andrew. Right. Hang on. Well, let me just explain it to you. There's a potted history. <laughs> Please, here that- God, no. <laughs> So, look, I, I do get it, but I I, I I think there are reasons. Um, you know, Aubameyang hasn't had a good season, and I suspect he would be the first to acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, if he had a podcast. If he had a podcast. But he, he doesn't, doesn't we do, and yeah. we're first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's got too much time, uh, spending too much time making his car shiny for a podcast. He just doesn't care enough to do a podcast, Andrew. That's the thing. Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, shiny car point. podcast. Yeah, look, no, the serious point. I think he's he's had a, a poor season by his standards. Um, mm. You know, they were lauding yesterday. Lacazette, he's got fifty Premier League goals. And it's like yeah, it's four years. It's like twelve and a half league goals a season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Aubameyang has reached fifty goals in the Premier League. I don't know when he did it, like eighteen months ago or something. You know, um, so. Uh, I think while it's reasonable to be frustrated and while I think it is reasonable to have some concerns, I just don't buy into this idea that he he doesn't care, he's fallen out with Arteta, blah, blah, blah. I just don't, I just don't get it. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't issues and there aren't things that we have to work through, but I don't think there are anything. Um, I think sometimes we just take a situation Imagine the worst possible scenario, then think of something worse than that. Yeah. And then double it and, you know, add some Phil Collins to the mix and make it the most horrendous thing we can possibly think of, when in reality, it might be a little bit concerning, but it's not the end of the world kind of thing. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I think Arteta would have wanted Aubameyang available to go to Sheffield United, uh, and I think Aubameyang would have wanted to play. Mm. Um, so I, I fully believe there's a physical reason why they why he couldn't. I mean, one thing you said there is you don't believe Arteta's fallen out with Aubameyang. Do you think their relationship is as cosy as it was? Well. I mean, it might not be, but you have ups and downs in relationships with people. And, you know, I, I I can't imagine, for example, that Aubameyang was particularly pleased to be left out of the North London Derby for no, turning up late. Yeah. But at the same time, he's our captain and he turned up late, mm-hmm. you know, on a match day. If a manager excuses that kind of behavior, he creates the sort of... Um, without wanting to use the word culture, but that culture at a football club that we've long railed against, the lack of accountability and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's Mm. what we want. We want for everybody to be accountable. 
And I know there's an element of cutting off your nose to spite your face. And maybe it has caused a little bit of a rift in their relationship. But, you know, again, um, and this, of course, is what a manager will say in public that, you know, he's the captain. It's all forgotten about, blah, 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 blah. You know, he's got to manage this dressing room and get results, and he hasn't been doing enough of that of late. So we're looking at all the various bells and whistles of, of, of what's going on. But, you know, I, I I still think that this is a guy who has spent his entire career scoring goals. His whole thing is scoring goals. That's what he wants to do. I don't – I just can't see that he's just decided, I can't be arsed anymore no just, I don't think so I can't I don't think so and I, and I think he, he doesn't seem quite himself I mean one of the things I no. think that that we is a bit absent from commentary on Premier League players at the present time is kind of what we're all living quite weird and different lives but I think the the mm. limitations of the bubble environment that are placed on a Premier League footballer for someone who is a sort of extroverted personality like a Bemiang it would be kind of weird if he was himself, you know. I, I, and I, I do wonder if there's a degree to which the situation that's ground us all down somewhat in the UK and elsewhere um, may have, mm. may be affecting athletes as well. It would be weird yeah. if it wasn't having some sort of psychological toll. Yeah. Um, but that's pure speculation on my part. Okay, well, just just following on from that, because there was a yeah. story in uh, doing the rounds over the weekend, which I'm not um, going to... I mean, it was from The Sun, so you can take into that what you want. But again, from the Discord from Bez17, uh, Goodly Morning Gents, how much weight do you put into media stories that certain players are unhappy with the way Arteta is managing the squad, or is it just more media narrative from the likes of The Sun, etc., etc.? Mm. So, again, it's one of those, isn't it, that when the, the when times are tough, it's easy to believe the worst stories. I don't put a huge... Certainly, that's not really my understanding of the general dynamics within the squad. I think, like in any squad, there are people on the outside or people who aren't playing who probably aren't completely enamoured with the way things are going. But I do think that generally the opinion of Arteta among the players remains pretty high. I think, especially as a coach, uh, I think there's a lot of respect and... Uh, I think he's pretty popular and seen as mm. quite straight with people. So I, I mean, I'll tell you now, spoiler alert, if Arsenal go out of the Europa League on Thursday, there will be more stories like that. That is kind of the nature of football coverage and football media. But right now, I think his stock is pretty high among the players. And actually, I think everything we hear from the players suggests as much and kind of has done all season, even mm. at our lowest points. Yeah, like I, I don't think if the players hate you and, you know, you've fallen out with every single one of them, you you get a response like we got against West Ham. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, true. look, the, the flip side of that, of course, is that you're 3-0 down, you played like shit in the first half an hour. And it didn't look like everyone was doing their doing their best, but you know things like that. There's not small things, but they do show that there is some measure of of um, desire, togetherness, whatever you want to call it, rather than just meek acceptance of of results and situations. Mm. So, look, a lot depends um, on results and performances, and of late results and this season really. 
results and performances have not been good enough on any kind of consistent basis. So you're always open to to this kind of uh, these kind of stories that are doing the yeah. rounds. But I, you know, I think in January we moved on a significant portion of the most unhappy cohort at the club. Mm-hmm. I agree. But I wonder if maybe there's been a, maybe there might be a new kind of slightly new unhappy cohort. I mean, people like Eddie, people like Reese Nelson, who haven't been getting a look in, I mm. presume, are frustrated at this point in time. But and it would be odd if they weren't. You kind of want them to be. Um, but I think for the most part, our opinion of Arteta is pretty positive. And I think even, mm. I, I, I almost regret saying that because I think even those people um, probably have a decent relationship with him. They just want to be playing more. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I was interested by the timing of that story. And like I say, this is a big, big week coming up because if Arsenal do go out on Thursday, mm. it will be very hard to cast any kind of favourable light on this season and the conversation around the manager um, it will be a thing, right? Mm. Like, of, there's no way it won't be. Of course. And look, even if we were to win every Premier League game that remained, having gone out of Europe, mm. you still couldn't make a case for this season to be anything other than really poor from an Arsenal yeah. perspective, you know? So the success and the the way that the, this season is viewed i mean it's kind of the same as last season in a way the fa cup the fa cup put the icing on what was a pretty unpleasant cake the icing was delicious we need the europa league icing to be delicious because the mm-hmm. cake is cake is bad it's bad cake man <sighs> nothing worse um pramod afc says, and I'm sure you'll cover this in a, a preview pod, but I think it's worth asking now, a million-dollar question. Who would you start up front on Thursday? And then he says, most of our fans would want Laka after last night's performance, but for me, he always comes up short when he's under pressure. Can we afford another miss in the second leg? Because Laka will miss. Personally, for me, if he was fit and, you know, 100%, I would start Aubameyang. Mm-hmm. That's the big question, though. Is like you know how this is if a he's big got real flu. Yeah, he's not starting on Thursday. No, and even if he has been physically uh, impacted by whatever virus or uh, yeah. cold or whatever he's got, you know, this is such a big game that we need to pick the best available team. And I don't just mean in terms of, you know, uh, well, what do I mean? I mean that if Aubameyang is at 75%, then even if I think he's the best player to start, maybe he shouldn't because, you know, maybe you use him for half an hour at the end if you need him. You know, you ask him to give you 100% of his 75% in the half an hour, if you know what I mean rather yeah. than start him and have to then take him off and all of a sudden you're taking off a, a goal scorer who may perhaps have had an ineffective night, right? So if he was 100%, I would start Aubameyang. I have a feeling that because of the goals that Lacazette scored, I think he will start Lacazette. What I would say to that, though, is that the important part 
of Lacazette starting up front, if he does, is that we maintain the balance of the mm-hmm. team that we saw yesterday, even though it was Sheffield United, etc., etc. Do not, whatever you do, play Lacazette and then play Willian outside him. Mm. Because, you know, it we makes... Know that goes. We know how it goes and it doesn't go well. So don't make that mistake again. You've got a young kid who's come in and done brilliantly. And even if you are starting with Lacazette and Aubameyang on the bench, you know, you give Martinelli an hour and, you know, who knows what he could do in an hour. But if it doesn't happen, you've got half an hour of Aubameyang to bring on. So I think a lot depends on, on the physical readiness of Aubameyang for this game. And, of course, we don't quite know what's happening with Smith Rowe, with Odegaard, with Saka. Those things may play a part in in who starts up front as well. Like if we don't have those three players, Saka, Smith Rowe, and Odegaard, that's a difficult one. I I think if that's the case, so so I would probably hmm, assuming the players we hope are fit are fit. I would play like uh, I'd play Aubameyang because mm. you know we know. That Slavia play with quite a high line. We saw the damage he could do against them, even in that short time on the pitch. Um, and you know, if he's not been too unwell, he might be coming in relatively fresh mm. without a huge amount of playing time in the past fortnight. That would be my inclination, but it's kind of dependent for me on what happens with Odegaard and Smith Rowe. I think if you want to play Aubameyang there, you need people who can play him in and who give you that security. And I think those guys are important. Um, If you're missing those players, as you were just sort of saying, Mm. I can really, I can see the case for kind of replicating what you did against Sheffield United to an extent and having, you know, Pepe and Martinelli say in wide areas and, and using them as your runners. So it's a delicate, delicate thing. The other thing is there is a chance, there is a risk that this is a longer than 90 minute game. This could be a 120-minute game. And one thing is for sure, Alexander Lacazette's not got that in his legs. Um, yeah. So maybe that becomes a consideration. It's, 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 if I was just picking, you know, based on the best players and I felt like I had everyone available... I'd At 100%, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, I fear it may be more complicated than that. Yeah, it will be. It will be because of, you know, who's going to be available or not available um, to play behind that striker. That is a big part of, of how you decide that. And I think you're right to point out this could be 120 minutes. Hopefully it's not. Uh, hopefully it's just 90 minutes. And, uh, you know, we, we go through in an uncomplicated fashion because I like when we do that. But, yeah, those are things that the manager is going to have to to consider. So um, it'll be interesting to see a bit later in the week what we see from, you know, training pictures and what information we get from the medical team, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Um, here's um, here's a couple on the same kind of subject. Um, Daniel, uh, he's from the Discord, but I can't read it because I don't have my glasses on. Uh, Daniel Refat says, uh, Goodly morning, gents. Do you think Granit Xhaka is a viable option at left-back moving forwards, or would he struggle versus better opposition? I personally really liked what he brought us from there, really helping us play the ball out from the back and switching the play. Much more secure than Cedric and allows to ke- allows us to keep Saka further up the pitch. And uh, Felix Aloka, who's at Felix Aloka 1, says, can we win the Europa League without a left-back? 
If not, what are your thoughts on a cockerlin style recall for Kalasinac or Maitland-Niles? Yeah, I mean, I think Arteta admitted last night that Tierney could well miss the, mm. end of the se- rest of the season. I mean, we kind of knew that, but uh, it still feels very stark to sort of look at it, you know, on paper. I mean, in the short term with the Slavia game, I think it's quite tricky because, like everybody else, I read Lewis Ambrose's excellent tactical preview of the game on mm. Arsblog, and there was a lot of talk about the right-hand side being, you know, the most threatening. And actually, Seema, who is the right winger usually for them, actually played through the middle, I think, against us at the mm. Emirates Stadium. If he goes back on that right flank, he's someone with, you know, speed, pace, who can get in behind... I'd be a bit nervous about Granit Xhaka um, as the left back. That said, I might be a bit nervous about Cedric too. So yeah, ni- neither's a perfect solution. Um, what do you think? Like, uh, do I think it's a long-term solution? No, I mean, I you know, I don't think he's let us down there when he's played. I think you know when he's when he's actually been picked in defence or had to play in defence, Jack has been decent, solid. I remember yeah. that game against, was it Chelsea? Yeah, it was Chelsea when we got a man sent off and, and he slotted in at, at centre-half. Half. He did yeah. really well. You know, so I think, I think his defensive positioning and his instincts are, are pretty good. A lot of the time because he's facing the play, He's not having to turn and chase back, and that's where he often gets exposed. But I do think that despite the benefits, the obvious benefits of having a left footer at left back, and you could see that a couple of times, particularly in the second half where he switched the play really well Mm -hmm. um, with those sort of cross-field, slightly diagonal balls, I would just worry that it's, it's another sticking plaster solution. Oh, yeah. But I don't know what I, else I, I we have. A, but I don't no, know what else we have, you know? I don't think it's a long-term thing that we can do. I mm. I think on Thursday, my inclination would be to play Cedric, but to not play Willian in front of him. So to play Cedric, but play, you know, Martinelli or Pepe in front so that you had someone who really had a bit of go-forward energy on mm. that flank in front of him. I think I think I think there's quite a good case for Pepe. I think there's a um you know there's a something helpful about having a right footer and a left footer on the same flank and actually that pair have combined pretty well on the same side mm. previously. So I find that quite tempting. I think Shaka he is an option but of course if you take Shaka out in the midfield you're playing Danny Sabas probably there. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get from him. Mm. Tricky. I Tricky. would prefer Shaka in midfield on Thursday to Shaka left back, even if yeah, in the circumstances uh, he might be seen as perhaps the, the best option we have available to us. I mean, I think, you know, my, my thoughts last week, and uh, we, we talked about it with Saka at left back, were predicated on the idea that we would have both Smith Rowe and Odegaard available. Yeah, yeah. Without those two, we're lacking that player in, in the other end of the pitch. And that's where Saka can come in. I think there was some really interesting aspects to his play in that position. So, 
I think the option, the yeah, it is. It, I don't like it too much, but it's it's Cedric um, on Thursday, and I do think in some ways that is why he was uh, on the bench. Would you consider? I mean, I've got a question here um, from Artistic Arsenal, who says, "Wonder if it's time to give." Pablo Maria running the team at left centre back. Although I think Gabriel's more talented, I feel more relaxed with Maria at the back. Would you ever consider either of Marie or Gabriel as an option at left back? At a big, big push, mm. maybe Gabriel. Maybe. Mm. But yes, I don't I see Pablo Marie, definitely not. Definitely not. It'd be like playing Murtisacker at fullback. Just not. A good idea, you know, for the team or for the player. Um, no, I, I don't think either of them are a fullback. Um, no, 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 no. But but if you were, if you were, without any other option, maybe Gabriel could go in and do a job in that position, not too dissimilar from the one that Shaka did yesterday. Like I don't think you play Gabriel at left back. And ask him to do what Kieran Tierney does. You know <laughs> no, what I mean? No, you just don't. No. The physical profile of the players is so different. But if you can tweak your team to the extent that you've got somebody else there to connect, and so you're, you know, what's Gabriel? What height is he? Six two, six three, something like that. Yeah. You know, that's a guy that, you know, it's not that he can't run, but you ask him to run up and down the line for ninety minutes, and he's dead in his feet by half time. You know, yeah. So you, if you do play someone like that there, you have to do kind of what Arteta did yesterday, and give them someone else to connect with. It was also interesting that even though he played at left back, Shaka made more passes than any other player yesterday. Mm, mm. Which, and actually, Chambers made a lot of passes as well, right? Mm. We played out through the fullbacks, ostensibly fullbacks. I mean, you know, they were in different areas of the pitch at times. Mm. A lot. But yeah, I mean, especially without David Luiz, I guess that's another positive thing about playing Shaka in the back line. You know, he, he, he gives you your exit ball. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a really, really tricky one, actually, that the left-back mm. situation for Thursday. And this is what happens, I guess, when you don't have a backup left-back. That is quite interesting. I was just looking at the passes, um, Chambers 68, Shaka 78. Yeah, uh, part a seventy three. But in terms of touches of the ball, uh, Chambers one hundred and one, mm. Sabios three thousand and six touches. <laughs> yeah, Chambers was really involved. I mean, you know, he was kind of um, pretty important mm. in the build up. But what do you think of the question about Pablo Marie? By the way, more generally, and what did you make of his performance? Yeah, we did have a we did have a. Uh, yeah, a couple of questions. I think there was one in the Discord as well. If I just give it a mention. Um, oh, God, why don't I wear my glasses when I'm recording this so, so I can read? Uh, Metofferson, who says, we kept a lot of clean sheets this season with Pablo Marie and Rob Holding. I mean, lots is relative, I guess. <laughs> mm. um, it, you know, it's still quite a small sample size. Yeah. But I do We were think, well overdue a clean sheet yesterday, weren't we? We certainly way. were, yeah. We really were. Um and I think that's an important part of going into this game on Thursday as well, is just sort of believing we can do it again. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Whether we're going to do it again remains to be seen, but just believing we can. Like, I think in pure 
talent terms, if you like, whatever way you want to call it. I think Marie and Holding are our two backup defenders. Yeah. But they do feel kind of more complementary than Louise and Gabrielle at times. They seem to suit yeah. each other quite well. And I thought Marie I th- was good yesterday. I thought Holding was a little iffy at times, but I thought Mar- Pablo Marie was, was good. Yeah, I, I found in the absence of David Luiz that I've sort of been wanting Pablo Marie in the team. Um, not at the, It's not a criticism of Gabriel. I just feel like he has qualities that we that, that, that we kind of miss without him. Mm. Um, I'm almost inclined to say that I'd like to see the dreaded, uh, never at all used, double left-footed uh, centre-back combination. <laughs> um, it is tempting because, you know, that Marie and Gabrielle, if you were looking purely at their kind of attributes and leaving that aspect out of it, I think there might be something there. Mm. But um, I don't think we will see that. But it, I think Gabrielle will play on Thursday. I think that this was about rotation and rest, but... I do think that Marie gives us something. And I think yeah. he's very calm. He is. You know? He is. He's a, there's a, a sort of, yeah, a reassuring presence there with him. He doesn't yeah. doesn't get pulled all over the place. Defensively uh, and on the ball, it seems to me. You mm. know? He, he never seems rushed. He never seems particularly hurried. Yeah. Um, and that's really, really a valuable trait. Mm. Um, but I think... I think it will be Gabriel and Holding on yeah. Thursday. Here's one from Robert Wright on Twitter. Is at RW10UK, and he says, "What's your news on? Uh, what's your take on the news that Balagoon is expected to be Balagin? Uh, you should yeah. have said Balagon is expected to be Balagin." I guess. True. So true. news of uh, following Balagoon is set to sign a new contract. They said imminently in the stories last week and nothing has happened yet. So that's not as imminent as you might have thought. <laughs> we actually had debate about that in the, <laughs> in the sort of athletic office of what does imminent mean? Um, uh, what do you think imminent means like in terms of timing? Any second now. Right. Okay. Yeah. Not like, I don't, I, not like in the, Next few days. Sure, sure. I mean, what's the the dictionary definition of imminent is about to happen. Okay. Well, I think that the agreement is in place. So a very small amount of things are required for it to happen, but I don't know exactly when it will happen. And I'm really surprised. I have to be honest. Like, I really, really, really thought this wasn't going to work out. Um, I just... uh, It was a complex situation and I thought the writing might be on the wall, that the relationship might be too damaged. I think it's really good news, though. Um, I think it's important, especially given our financial situation, that we hold on to the talent that Mm. we produce. We put ourselves in a position where either they develop into first-team players and it's a result or they move on and we get a a fair fee for them, an appropriate fee for them. and he looks like a really exciting young player. Mm. My question would be, I mean, we had a question from Inside Arsenal on Twitter saying, how much game time do you see him getting from now until the end of the season? My answer to that would be, I don't think very much. And I, I'm not even convinced 
he'll be a big part of plans next season. Personally, if it was up to me, I might be considering him sending him out on loan because I just feel like there's been this long protracted period of him not playing first team football. He needs to play to, mm. to get to where he needs to go. What do you think? Um, about which bit? Well, look, I think it's positive, well, yes. obviously, that he's he's going to sign a new deal because he looks like a, from what we've seen of him this season, he looks like a really interesting young forward. You know, he, he seems to have a much more rounded game than Eddie Nketiah, for example. Eddie's very much a poacher. This guy can play with his back to goal, hold it up, bring people into play. We've seen him score a couple in the Europa League. He got an assist as well. You know, he physically, he looks... He looks just maybe a bit uh, a bit more suited to Premier League football than, than Eddie, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, as to what happens, I don't know. I mean, I see absolutely what you're saying. There's real logic in the idea that, you know, as a 19-year-old who's barely played any first-team football at all, mm. that a season on loan somewhere to develop him would be hugely beneficial. But again, it depends on how ready they think he is. Like, if you're ready, you're ready, as Bakayo Saka has shown at 19. You know, he's True. in the team and he's playing. Um, I wonder if some of the lack of playing time has been down to the lack of agreement between the yep. player and the club. Like, why, the, you know, there's two sides of it. Give the guy some playing time and, you know, you increase your chances of him signing. But mm-hmm. then it's like, well, if we give him playing playing time, we're only developing him for another club if he if he decides to go somewhere else. So, you know, the commitment, I think, has to be there from both sides, you know, to, to start forging a career at a club. And until now, I don't think it has been. What I would say, though, is that his agent is such that unless there was, you know, a very specific plan about what's going to happen that they are on board with, I don't think he would be signing. That's right? a good point. So it may well be that the plan is, okay, sign the contract. You're going to go out on loan next season. Aubameyang's going to be a year older. Maybe, maybe, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying this is what I would do, but maybe, given that circumstance, they keep Lacazette for another year, mm-hmm. let him go mm-hmm. at the end of next season. Again, I'm not saying that's what I would do, but it might be in their plans. And then you bring back uh, Balagoon. You've got Martinelli, who's a year older, Aubameyang. You know, the pathway is there. You can see that there might be a pathway there for him. Mm-hmm. So I, I I can't imagine that those discussions haven't taken place because he's not just going to sign. It's not just about, you know, money uh, and how big the contract is. It's about what kind of a career he can have at this club. And if they don't yeah. think he can have the career, then they'll they just take their pick of whatever clubs are out there this summer. And there'd be lots no, because, you know, he's he's free or would have been yeah. free. Yeah. And I think he, yeah, he's known, you know, throughout Europe as a top, top talent. So mm. I think it's really important that he stays. Um, the striking position is going to be really interesting next season and across mm. the course of the summer because... You know, there's doubt over the future of uh, Nketia. There's doubt over the future of Lacazette. Um, I don't think there's any real doubt over the future of Aubameyang, despite what, you know, some people may be saying. I think he's going to still be here for the duration of his contract, probably. But, there, you know, there's definitely gaps there. And maybe Balogun 
could be asked to take one of those on. It would be a big turnaround in mm. terms of kind of selection policy from Arteta, but I think you're right to suggest that the contract has been a factor in that and there's been a reluctance to invest playing time in a player who wasn't committed to the club. Now it seems that uh, that commitment is not quite imminent, but uh, looming. Mm. And maybe that could change the situation. Do you think we'll see him like in the Premier League between now and the end of the season? I think maybe in the final couple of games there could be a chance, depending on what yeah. happens, you know, depending on results and, and what's going on. You know, hopefully we're still involved in Europe. Like if we're playing Brighton three days before the Europa League final, mm. touch wood, fingers crossed, and all of that. I'm sorry, but there 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 comes a time where you're picking your team for the Europa League final and then you pick your team for the final league game based on who's not in that first team. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You we know? have to re- we have to resign from the race for eighth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, in those circumstances with a heavy heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, we shouldn't be laughing, but I know I, no, you know, I but I yeah, I think it all depends on what's what's happening. I mean, yeah, I don't quite know what what our what our high um, ceiling is this season in terms of how many points we can get and where it might. Um, I don't like looking at the league table, basically. No, no, let's not bring that up. So, look, it may well be a case that you know, as and when he signs his deal, we give him some minutes. Um, they might look at giving minutes to players like. Nelson and Enkedia, just to remind people that they're alive and out there and available for transfer as well. So there's the I mean, line. That might be quite smart, you know. Maybe yeah, we should it could be. be. To do that. Yeah, it could be. You know. Uh, um, yeah, maximize their value as much as possible. When you balance that against giving playing time that might develop some of the players that that you know we want to use next season as well. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Have you got any more questions? No, I don't have any more questions, but I just wanted to talk very quickly uh, about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Do you uh, think we should talk about that? Yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? What did you make of um, the incident yesterday involving Spurs and United, the Sun thing? In that it was a shame the Sun didn't implode and take them all with them. Yeah, yeah. I just thought... You know, I was watching on thinking, Come hopefully on. it will engulf them sooner rather than later. Um, didn't happen. Alas. Didn't Look, happen. I, I thought it was quite something that Solskjaer was criticising Son for play acting when you consider what happened with him and Sol Campbell back in 2003 when there was mm. a, a very, very similar incident. And did Sol get banned for four games? Quite a long time for, yeah. Because it was his second red card of the season or something like that. It was done with violent violent conduct. conduct. Yeah. Um, And I mean, my my recollection is that this happened at the end of the 2002-2003 season in a game we drew with United, but Campbell was missing, Saul was missing from games against... Was it that Bolton game? Was right, it the, the Bolton the game lost. when I think Keown scored an own goal and, and Bolton like injured three of our players? Like Jumberg was one, Lauren was another one. I can't remember, maybe Ray Parler. So we lost to Bolton and we lost to Leeds at home. You remember that game? I was there that day. Yeah. Painful. So Mark Paducah. a lot of that 
Not a lot of that, but, you know, if you have Saul Campbell in your defense, maybe you don't lose those two games, and maybe maybe you uh, go on and win the title, as we should have done. Should have won the title that season. I mean, then maybe you don't go and win the, you know, the league unbeaten the following season. The the hurt of losing in in two thousand and three inspires you to become invincible, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But basically, my point is, Solskjaer can stick it up his fucking hole um, mm. with his nonsense. And then I saw. I mean, we some- should make clear we are not siding with Jose Mourinho here. Absolutely not. I I watched a few seconds of his interview last night. Um, when I was just before I was going to bed after I'd had a glass uh, of wine or two I think I mentioned this and it made me so uneasy I had to turn it off the Mourinho interview is talking about like stuff about son's dad if you're this if you're you know I'm a father and I have have to steal for my child to eat it was like uh, okay this is weird now this is a, like extra dimensional Twin Peaks kind of stuff. I don't want any part of it. No, but it is fun watching him slowly destroy Tottenham Hotspur from the inside. Mm-hmm. That is fun. It is. We did have people asking us if we could read some Jose out tweets, but like we, we kind of have to kind of have to read the room a little bit in, in terms of that um, kind of stuff. Yeah. Plus, we're Jose in. Hundred percent. Jose all the way. New contracts. I'm hoping for. Jingle bells, yes. Jose all the way. <laughs> all right, look, we better leave it there um, for this one. Yes, we better. So this is it. our last ask cast of the season, of course. Ask cast extra because the season ends on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for sticking with us all season. We'll be back uh, next year. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Come on, James. We'll be all right. We'll be all right. We're. we're I think it will be okay. I, I believe. We'll be all right. I. I'm I, a believer. I also. I think. This has got us losing the final to Manchester United written all over it. Oh! <laughs> you just made my stomach make... I don't know, I don't know. But I know, look, it's gallows humour. Isn't that what they call it? Gallows humour? so, yes. It's, it's a coping mechanism. It's coping is mechanism. It's <laughs> yeah. well, imminent. The end of the enough. season is imminent. Fact. <laughs> Well, look, regardless of that, we will have more Arsecasts extra for you uh, this season. Uh, They may not be as important as they might be, but we'll still keep doing them. We'll have a preview podcast for the Slavia Pride game for Patreon members on Wednesday. And uh, we will catch you on the next one. Thanks for being here as always. So until then, take it easy. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.